We're going to read the text here and then we'll pray. Uh, We'll pray for those families and then we'll get into the message this morning. How many of you are ready to learn something today? Uh, and maybe, uh, maybe be inspired, uh, but I won't guarantee inspiration, uh, but hopefully some edification. Uh, Romans chapter 14, <clears throat> and let's read beginning in verse 12. <clears throat> so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth a thing to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died." Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege of coming to chapel, and we ask that you would, uh, first of all, speak to our hearts in this hour and to our minds. And Father, I pray that you would call out men and women of God that are serious about holiness and uh, ministry that is distinctive and, and help something said today to bring them along their journey I do want to pray for the Stensis family, Lord. We thank you for the Stensis and their, their work in our lives in our college. We pray that you would comfort them today. And we pray for the Lofgren family, Lord. And I think of how Brother Gary was weeping so yesterday at the bedside there and how he was already, in a sense, missing his wife. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would comfort him today as well as their, their four boys. And Lord, we just look forward to seeing how you will help and guide, and we ask that you would use us to be a blessing to these, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I often tell people across the country when we're talking about college that we come to Bible college to get an education. Now, we find when we talk to uh, students, and high school students in particular, we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about uh, some of the activities, we talk about um, some of the sports, we talk about the dorms, the food. Dr. Rasmussen talks about the food and the food and the jobs, and, and there's all these things we talk about. But one of the things that I normally do is I normally pause in the middle of what I'm saying about all these things, and I usually say this. Never forget that we go to college to get an education, all right? You're here to get an education. And a part of your educational process is being able to ask questions, being able to find answers about how to really work out various issues that you're going to face in life and ministry. And one of the things about West Coast that I love is that we have resident faculty that are very approachable and uh, that want to be a help and want to be a blessing in your life. And in fact, we're having a meeting with some of our men, uh, I think, next week just to talk about uh, how to answer various questions. I don't want our staff to say, because we always have done it that way. I want you to feel like you're getting some things with handles that you can take out into the ministry. I've entitled this message, Truths for Leaders. I think there are some things that I consider as a pastor that many times uh, someone who's not yet in the pastorate or in the ministry might not think about the same way. So if you'll allow me to share from my perspective as a leader, and in the 14th chapter of the book of Romans, the Bible speaks about those that are spiritually weak. 
And we see here Paul is addressing the strong in faith while indirectly showing the state of those who are weak in faith. In the context of this passage, uh, speaking about the weak, we read that they uh, cannot take all the nourishment at once or the, uh, or the strong at times are not willing to take instruction. But the church will always have believers that are at various different stages of growth. Some uh, that are newer in the Lord, some that have been saved for a long, long time. And, and the fact is that as you consider your role in ministry, uh, we're here training people who will be leaders in the local church. And years ago, I wrote a book entitled Grace for Godly Living because there was this thought that was going around Christianity that if you're under grace, then you don't have to have any kind of rules at all. You don't have to have any kind of uh, guidelines for your life at all. And, uh, and because of that, we, we saw Christians that were drinking and watching wicked movies and, and uh, having rock concerts and dances in the church, and the whole idea was we're under grace. And so I wrote this book, Grace for Godly Living. Sometimes people would say, I can do whatever I want to do because I'm under grace. And the Bible says in Titus chapter 2 that the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And the premise of this book, Grace for Godly Living, is simply this. Grace is not my license to live however I want to live. Grace is my tutor to teach me how to live a more holy and a godly life. Okay? So if someone is growing in grace, they're not going to be less like Jesus. They're going to be more like Jesus because grace is the inner working of the Holy Spirit of God within someone. And grace brings us to a position of separation, not to a position of license. If you're with me so far, say amen. amen. Okay? So grace for godly living. And uh, in this uh, particular book, I talk about uh, separation is important because of what the Scriptures teach uh, concerning false religions, unsaved companions, the saved but the worldly. First Thessalonians 3 tells us to withdraw ourselves from every brother that walks disorderly. Sometimes you actually have to separate from a Christian who's not growing in grace. He's a worldly, carnal Christian and not good for your walk with the Lord. Uh, I talked about the importance here of principles and convictions and standards. And what I find is that as I've been preaching these things for 31 years and helping people, sometimes we can assume that you've heard it or you've read it or you know it. And the reason for this chapel today is I don't want to make that assumption. I'm glad that at West Coast we can ask questions. And so this message today is somewhat to answer some questions that sometimes get asked. I also want to say that if you have... Uh, in your life, I recognize you're here, you're following the rules of the college. By the way, thank you very much for doing that. But if you're, if you're trying to formulate your standards and convictions uh, along the way, I have about 300 copies of this book out in the foyer, and you're welcome to have a free copy if you'll read it. That's the deal. If you certainly are trying to formulate some standards and some convictions for your life and you'd like to learn more about how Brother Chapel has taught, what the Bible says concerning growing in grace and the importance of some of that, that's available for you as a gift out in the lobby today. Now fundamentally as a leader, what I like to say to our deacons and staff is something like this. As a leader, the higher you go in leadership, uh, the less you emphasize rights you have fewer rights, and you really have more responsibility. So we have responsibility, we have rights, but the higher you go, 
really you have fewer rights. So, for example, uh, let me give you an illustration. Uh, as a leader, uh, as I go higher in leadership, as God gives me influence, it may be that uh, I could go into a liquor store to buy sunflower seeds. But I choose not to do that. You say, but you have the right to go in there. But I choose not to do that. I limit my right to do something because I have a responsibility to have a godly testimony. So when you find young men saying, well, I have the right to do this or I have the right to do that, my answer to them would be, maybe you do, but are you really sending the right message to the next generation? So I believe the higher I go in leadership, I don't emphasize rights, but I really emphasize responsibility. The higher you go in leadership, you don't emphasize more and more rights. You emphasize fewer rights and more responsibility. Now let me speak to you about it in this way. Notice if you're taking notes, first of all, the reckoning of a leader. The reckoning of a leader. Verse 10, the Bible says something very important. It says, by, but why dost thou judge thy brother, and why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, how many of you understand all of you are going to stand before Jesus Christ? All right? Preachers, I want you to get that in your mind. Some of you might say, Pastor Chapel, why are you so careful about who comes here to preach? Why do I have people who come here who are clean, who are fundamental, who, are, uh, who, who have uh, a, a godly doctrinal position, who use the King James Bible. Why am I so careful about that? Why am I careful about the music that we sing in this church? Why am I careful about who I allow to teach? Why do we have leadership requirements and ask our leaders to abstain from certain activities? Why do we do this? One of the reasons is found in Hebrews 13, 17, and I'd like to show that to you. Would you turn there for just a moment, Hebrews 13, 17? We see that there is the judgment seat of Christ, but let's look at it for a pastor just a little bit more. Hebrews 13, 17. The Bible says here in this particular verse, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I want you to see this phrase, as they must give account. Let's say that together. As they must give an account. So I want you to realize that one of the reasons I limit my rights, one of the reasons that I don't do everything I could do, okay, is because one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's many standards that I've developed in my life that you may not have developed yet in your life, okay? But many of the standards that I've developed, and I'll talk about some of them later on in this message, are because I believe one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account. Uh, illustration, at our church, we only accept people into membership who, are being, who have been saved and they're being baptized or they're coming from another like-faith Baptist church. That's how we accept members here, all right? Now, someone says, well, what if someone was very sincerely saved and, and then they were baptized uh, as a Pentecostal, all right? Uh, we do not accept Pentecostal baptism because there are three considerations with baptism. There is first the order, and we should be baptized when? And then there is the mode, and we should be baptized How? And thirdly, there is the authority. Authority. 
okay, illustration. You can't go to McDonald's management school and learn how to flip burgers and then go over here to Northrop and say, I want to build fighter jets because I went to McDonald's management school. They're going to say, you need to go to MIT and get a degree in engineering if you want to build these jets. Well, we don't allow people to come here and say, I'm from United Pentecostal Church. I believe you can lose your salvation. I believe in speaking in tongues, and I want to be a member of this church. We do not transfer their membership into this church. The reason for that, this is a Baptist church. And if we allowed everybody to come in with divergent doctrine and join this church, it is no longer a Baptist church. Now, that's one of the principles that I have established. Did you know that one of the reasons I've established that principle and that, that uh, belief is because, and many thousands of others, by the way, one day I'm going to stand before the Lord, and I don't want to hear, you let every kind of a doctrine into my church. Did you know we don't allow people to sing in the choir that are living in sin and shacking up? Why? Because I've got to give an account to the Lord for that choir, right? Did you know that we don't let people work with our teenagers who drink alcohol? Why? Because I've got to give an account to the Lord for the church. So what I'm trying to say is, as a leader, you think about things a little bit differently. As a leader, you begin to think about uh, uh, standing before the Lord and giving account for the whole ministry. All of you are going to give an account to the Lord for your life someday. I'm going to give an account to the Lord. I'm the president of a Bible college, and I recognize uh, that sometimes what I may do in moderation, some of you might do with excess. So I'm going to be even more careful, and I would challenge you that perhaps want to be greatly used of God in your life to be very careful to make sure that you have personal standards of separation and ecclesiastical standards of separation. Now, what I'm speaking to you about this morning is often scorned by scorners. But I want you as a student body to recognize that we are going to give an account to the Lord for our ministry. Now, I'm going to give an account for this ministry, but as you get out in the ministry, you're going to give an account as well to the Lord. So the reckoning of a leader is the fact I'm going to give an account someday before the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, every man's work shall be made manifest. And, and secondly, not only will I give an account, but our account will be reckoned. And I want you to see that in verse 10. The Bible says, um, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord, verse 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Uh, this, this speaks of a reckoning or an itemization that God is going to call us to be accountable. So there is a reckoning, 1 Corinthians 4.2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now look right here. God's given me the Bible, and he's told me to steward it well. I'm to study it. I'm to rightly divide it. I'm to witness, right? Uh, I don't want to hide it under a bush. Oh, no. I want to let my light shine. God's given me a family. I'm to steward that family well and raise up my family for the Lord. God has given me a pastorate, and I'm to steward this pastorate well. And because one day I'm going to give an account, and I believe God gives us money and that we're going to give an account for how we use the money. So God has given me influence. 
And I don't want to use my influence to walk onto some platform of people of different faith and lend credence to that because I want to be a steward of my entire life. Look at I've been bought with a price. So everything that God has given to me, I want to be a good steward with what God has given to me. I don't want to send a mixed message with this life or an uncertain sound. I want to be clear uh, and distinct in my life and testimony. And, and there will be some who will misinterpret my life and ministry, and they will misinterpret yours. But I want to be able to put my head on the pillow at night and know that I've done my best for Jesus because one day I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to give an account. So that's the account that every leader thinks about. That's why we don't emphasize our rights. That's why we don't say, well, you know, I could drink that or I could go to watch that movie or I could go do this or that and still go to heaven because I'm under grace. No, no, leaders don't think that way. Leaders think this way. I don't want my 10th graders to see me doing that. And I'm going to stand before Jesus one day for that. And I don't want my life to be a bridge for some young man to someday be preaching in a church that has an NIV Bible, a rock band, and hair down to here. I don't want anything that I do to point somebody in that direction because I'm going to give an account to the Lord someday. So the first principle is that a leader must reckon his responsibility, and one day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. So uh, one day I'll stand before the Lord, one day you'll stand before the Lord, the reckoning of leaders. Secondly, I want to speak to you about the realization of a leader. The realization of a leader. Verse 13, notice what it says. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, one of the things that leaders, are, that, one, that, that leaders realize is that there are weaker brethren. There are weaker brethren. The setting of this passage relates to the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. For some of the Jews, even though they are now Christian, they're having a difficult time ridding themselves of some of the ceremonial law. These laws dealt with dietary laws, and they dealt with the the holy days or the special days of the feast. And there was a difference among them about the distinction of the meats and of the days. Uh, These are the two things that are specified in Romans 14. There might be other similar occasions or differences, but but these made the most noise. And and this was the case. The members of the church at Rome uh, were some of them, uh, they were originally Gentiles and other of them Jews, But here we find Jews at Rome that were believing on the Word of God. And uh, now those that had been Jews were trained up in these various observances of the ceremonies and so forth. Uh, And this was bred into their lives Uh, after they became Christians. uh, It was something that was hard for them to be weaned from. Uh, They were not uh, uh, really uh, understanding the fact that they had uh, freedom from those uh, particular laws and ceremonies as it pertained to their standing before God. And so the Bible says that some believed that they could eat all things, and uh, he was satisfied in that uh, ceremonial distinction, and others believed uh, differently. Uh, The Jew thought the meat uh, or unclean diet was wrong, uh, so the Gentile Christians uh, uh, were summoned to uh, abstain and so forth. Now, the fact is that as Paul addressed this issue, he says here in Romans 14 to be very aware of the fact that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. 
the, the fact is that there are weaker brothers and that if in their mind uh, they had come to a conclusion about what they should or shouldn't eat, then it would be wrong to put that in front of them if they felt they shouldn't eat it uh, or if they felt even that they should. There should not be a stumbling block. And that's one of the principles that I also live by. Uh, I believe, uh, even with the case of drinking, I believe we should not drink because of specific scriptures that speak about drinking, but one of the good reasons we should not drink is so we don't become a stumbling block to someone who's a weaker brother, maybe in that particular area. And this is another thing that leaders think about, the weaker brother. They also think, secondly, about the value of a godly testimony, the importance of a godly testimony. So verse 15 says, If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not incharitably, Destroy, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. In other words, if there was a brother in the church that was offended by that, then it was not something that should be continued in uh, uh, if it was hurtful to their faith. You know, one of the things I believe is that a pastor pastors all the people, and he's to be sensitive first to the Holy Spirit, but also to make the church a place where weaker Christians can grow. Uh, There's reasons that we don't have ladies in miniskirts sing on the platform. I know it's a standard, and some people are saying, away with the standards. But they're forgetting this principle of offending weaker brethren. And God wants us to have an environment of worship that allows people to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it says in verse 16, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. So secondly is the value of a godly testimony. Um, Here we see that uh, even a non-moral issue like this issue with the meats can become moral if someone's fellowship is destroyed with Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 5.13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So would you turn to that verse for a moment? Galatians 5.13. For brethren, Galatians 5.13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Okay? So let's read that verse together. Galatians 5.13. Ready? Begin. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty. Now, I know some people make fun of this particular standard, and, and especially with all the technology that's out there. But one of the reasons that I've never gone to a movie theater is because there's normally about five rated R's and maybe one PG and then one G on the screen, right? Now, if you were to press the theological issue, do I have the spiritual liberty to go to a movie theater and still be saved, yes or no? Right. I can do that. And I, could, I, I would hope that most people would give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm going to watch Bambi, not something else, right? But I want to be careful, number one, of the weaker brother. I, I want to be careful if someone's going to say, well, Pastor Chapel went in there and maybe assumed that I was watching something else, and that becomes their excuse to go do that. And, and, I, and I know people can watch movies on their iPads and guys in college sneak on their phone or whatever. I recognize the issue is not just a place, it's the heart, right? I recognize that. But I also, when I read Galatians 5.13, it says, Use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. So that correlates with Romans, which says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the next say? God 
forbid. So some people who say they're under liberty, they watch movies with cursing and nudity and all this, and God says, that's not how you're supposed to use your liberty. You're not to use your liberty to just live however you want to live. You want to remember your testimony. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. How many times have we seen that? How many times have we seen a a preacher or a college student and the whole church is so proud of them? Man, look at that good testimony. He's in Bible college. He got called to preach and and, uh, he's doing well and he works a bus route or he's doing this or that. And boom, suddenly because he abused his liberty and because he broke some rules, some biblical standards, suddenly uh, his testimony is besmirched and now his good is evil spoken of. By the way, the devil loves that when that happens. So, so we want to guard our testimony. That's why Titus 2 is so important. So let's turn to Titus 2, 11 and 12. And I'm not trying to give a full exposition of Romans 14, but I'm trying to give you some, some biblical principles at least to think about this morning. Titus 2, 11 and 12. It says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So let's read those two verses, okay? Ready? Begin. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, So does the grace of God teach us to live how we want to live? No. And is the goal of life to conform to the world or to conform to Jesus Christ? So if someone's growing in grace, they're, they're conforming more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first principle I've shared with you this morning is the reckoning of a leader. And here's what a leader reckons. Watch me now. A leader is aware of this fact. I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ someday and be judged for the way that I lead. I am going to give an account to the Lord for this church. That's the reckoning. I'm going to give an account for this church. That's why leaders think about membership. That's why they think about who preaches. That's why they think about where they preach. That's why they think about uh, music. That's why they think about if if it's time for a revival. Leaders just think differently. Leaders don't emphasize their rights. In fact, the higher they go in leadership, it's not about their rights. It's really more about their responsibility, okay? It's about their responsibility, and we want to be responsible leaders, okay? And so the responsibility is very clear. So we see, first of all, the reckoning of the leader, secondly, the realization of the leader, and that realization is that there are weaker brothers, and I don't want to let my good be evil spoken of. And then thirdly, I want to talk to you about the responsibility of a leader, the responsibility of a leader. Now come to verse 17 and 18. It says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Now, God is telling us in verse 17 that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's joy in the Holy Ghost. Uh, God is wanting us to learn then to walk in the Spirit. And I want you to see this there uh, in, in Romans chapter 14, uh, where we were commanded concerning this matter of the Spirit, that God has called us to walk in the joy 
in the Holy Spirit. Also, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. It says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So the responsibility of a leader is to walk in the Spirit uh, so that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then the second responsibility that we have is to edify others through our walk. So look at verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Okay? How many of you realize that a lot of churches, what's going on in churches is not edifying? It's not building people up spiritually. Uh, I saw a sign in Texas the other day, Christian polka worship, and and they were having a a polka dance worship. Uh, I saw one just yesterday about Christian beer drinking at the church. Uh, We know of churches now that are having couples retreats, not requiring married couples to go. Uh, We know of churches that are having flat-out rock concerts and comedy shows. Gentlemen, can I just remind you of something? You don't need to try to be a comedian or a singer. You need to be a preacher of the Word of God. Again, that's why we started West Coast Baptist College, so that you would edify people from the Word of God. And and as you edify others, you're going to do that by living a life of distinction and a life uh, that is uh, separate unto the Lord. And so the Bible is very clear uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, uh, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Okay? So uh, all things are lawful. I have the liberty to do these things, but not all things are expedient. Now, expedient means the best to do, right? So you say, well, what about worship in the church? You know, what's, what's wrong with the smoke machine? Nothing. What's wrong with, you know, psychedelic lights? Maybe nothing, you know, in their place, I suppose, at, you know, certain things. But when you, st- you start putting all these things together that you might say are lawful, the question is this, are they really expedient? Is it really the best for worship? Does it really edify? Does it really glorify God? Because I don't want to argue with some spiritual, uh, 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 spiritually developing person about what is lawful? It's like the guy that says, well, how close to sin can I get? What are we going to tell them? You need to back up. All things are lawful, but not all things are what? Expedient. Now, people in, in their personal separation and people in their worship styles, there's going to be slight differences, and I'm not here to pick bones about slight differences. I'm trying to just give you some things to think about today. So your generation, the millennial generation, is saying essentially, we can do whatever we want to do, and don't you try to tell us to do anything differently because it's all lawful. We're under grace. And I'm just simply asking you, it may, it may be that you have liberty, but does that mean you can use your liberty as an occasion to do whatever you want to do? What's the answer to that? No. And it may be lawful, but does that mean it's best? Does that mean that it's the expedient thing to do? And many times the answer to that is no. And that is why we have in our life standards. That's why uh, we develop uh, biblical uh, standards. And I want to talk with you for just a moment about uh, those standards and uh, how they are developed and, and, uh, and why they are important. Because I think many times 
in your life right now, we assume that you come here with these ironclad standards in your life, but a lot of times you're still developing those standards. And some of you are developing personal standards, and some of you are developing uh, maybe uh, you know, your own standards for ministry and for the church you're going to pastor someday. So let me just talk with you about how to develop standards. And, 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 and the first thing I want to tell you about standards is this. Don't start with the standard, okay? You don't, you don't want to start with a standard. You want to start first with the Bible principle, okay? Start with the Bible principle. I think one, one of the things young people do is they hear all the do's and don'ts in the youth group and the Christian school, and they never really know why from the Bible. One of the things I'm going to talk to our men about is when you ask questions, let's give a Bible answer. And sometimes, if there's not a Bible answer, it's okay to just say because that's a preference, okay? Some things are Bible convictions. Some things are a preference. For example, I have a preference that uh, the choir march in and march out. Some people have a preference maybe that they, they don't even have a choir, you know. Uh, these are things that you don't die on the, on the, you know, on the hill for. They're preferences. But a Bible principle is something that you're not going to compromise, right? A Bible principle. And I'll give you some illustrations on this. Once you get to the Bible principle, the next thing you want to develop is a biblical conviction. So don't, don't make fun of mine because many of you don't even have any yet. Okay. Uh, well, I just don't see why you wouldn't have a Pentecostal. Well, wh- why don't you go ahead and study the difference in the doctrine and then make up your mind on that? Okay. But you've got to have a Bible principle, all right? And for me, the Bible principle is that doctrine matters. Okay. So doctrine is the glue that holds us together. And so I have a Bible conviction about the membership of the local New Testament church. And because of that conviction, I have set a standard and, and what is the standard on becoming a member at Lancaster Baptist? Someone tell me. Two things I said. Through baptism or from what kind of a church? A Baptist church. That's my standard, okay? But that standard is based on a Bible principle, and the Bible principle is a principle of doctrine. The Bible principle speaks uh, uh, in First and Second Timothy repeatedly about know thy doctrine and the doctrines of the Word of God, including Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the moment of salvation, and so forth. That's my Bible principle. And those Bible principles have made me a Baptist. And, and, and those Bible principles have given me some standards of how we operate Lancaster Baptist Church. So... Many times people have a standard, well, uh, they tell us the standard is to have our dresses a certain length, so I have to have my dress a certain length. I want to encourage you, get a little deeper than that. Where did that come from? Okay, it came from the Bible, but it's not good enough that it came from someone else's study. You need to study that out. Now, in the meantime, please abide by the rules at West Coast Baptist College. Can I get an amen to that? But while you're here, you've got to get some standards because there's a world, the minute you leave here, that wants to pull you away from the Bible. The Bible is very clear that when we are strong, uh, we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to live to please ourselves. And so what that means normally is that you wind up having two sets of standards as a preacher, uh, and, and, and maybe I would better say that, two realms of standards. One realm would be the personal realm, and one realm would be the ecclesiastical or the church realm. And you're developing these standards while you're in Bible college. So let me just share with you a little bit about how that would work going from Bible principle to Bible conviction and so forth. And what happens is that these standards begin to form uh, what some people might call the ancient landmarks 
Uh, they, or you might also call it a boundary, if you will. And I just want these tables to kind of illustrate that because, guys, what I'm trying to teach you this morning is you need to get these boundaries set while you're at West Coast Baptist College. If you're with me, say amen. amen. You need to know what you're not going to compromise before you get out into the ministry or you're going to mess up somebody's church. And you're going to hurt some teenager. You're going to be the bridge for somebody into a false doctrine. So, so what happens is, is that these ancient landmarks or these standards, uh, they help you to avoid going out of bounds or, or uh, losing your testimony or having your good evil spoken of, right? Because you've prayed about this. You've established this. So let's talk about some personal standards. How about that? Everybody with me on that one? Okay. Because sometimes you might have this question or somebody might ask you this question. So, so, for example, I've had to get some Bible principles about alcohol, okay? Uh, and and not, we don't have time for hundreds of verses, but, for example, Proverbs 23, 21. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. And the Bible speaks about uh, the, the sin of alcohol, looking at the, at the wine when it moveth itself aright in the cup. And so forth. And so biblically, I believe the Bible speaks about the danger of alcohol, not to mention the scripture I just read a moment ago about becoming a stumbling block to the weak. So my Bible principles teach me that alcohol is something that we should abstain from. And so my conviction is that I'm not going to partake of alcohol, right? I don't want the new members coming to my house Sunday night to see alcohol in my refrigerator, and that's a stumbling block to them. And so these are Bible principles. I've established some biblical convictions that, that alcohol is wrong. It's wrong for the believer. It's wrong for everybody. That's my conviction. So what's my standard about that? Now, now, this is where sometimes good Christians slightly vary. Sometimes standards are a little bit different, but I'll tell you my standard, okay? My standard is that I don't, I don't drink wine at a restaurant. My standard is I don't, I don't uh, go into a party where there's alcohol being served, or if it was being served and I didn't know before I got there, I'll find an easy way to try to get out of there. Uh, these are some standards in my life. Some people have a standard that they don't even walk by the alcohol at the supermarket, Okay? Anybody know why they might have that standard? Someone tell me why. Temptation. Because maybe they were an alcoholic before they got saved. Preachers never make fun of someone in your church that has no television. Okay? How many of you grew up with no television? Some of you grew up with no television? All right, some of you. Uh, we did not have television until our kids were in high school and so forth. Different people have, have standards that somewhat are slightly different. I don't mind if you have a slightly different standard. I, the problem is that we have no standards in our society today. So some people might say, I don't walk by the alcohol. Some people might say, I, I don't even go into a restaurant that serves it, and so on and so forth. Make sure you have a standard. Now, you can have the same exact Bible principle as someone else, and it can be practiced slightly differently, but make sure that you have a standard on the alcohol issue uh, for your personal life, okay? I think about... Hair, all right? I think about it a lot because I, I don't have any anymore. So, <laughs> 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is what? A shame, all right? How many of you would understand that's a Bible principle? Long hair, it's a shame to have long hair, okay? Now, I know when I was a teenager, I always said to my dad, how long is long, you know? And he'd say, well, God gave you an ear, and, you know, so keep it over the ear, and so on and so forth. And that was fine, right? The biblical principle is that God has created a distinction between men and women, right? So 
Uh, there's a Bible principle about hair, so I have a conviction about, about hair, uh, and, and that is that I, I want to keep a shorter haircut uh, so that I distinctively am male and, and biblically obedient, and my standard on that might require me to get a haircut every once a month or whatever. So, so that's a pretty basic one. Uh, then, then you get into the areas of entertainment, um, and it seems like this technological generation wants to argue for watching this movie or seeing this or that and so on and so forth. So I'll just give you the biblical principle, Philippians 4.8. The Bible says, what sort of things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, etc., etc.? Think on these things. So how many of you would agree that the Bible actually does give principles that deal with entertainment? Right? So my biblical conviction is that I'm not going to watch anything that is of foul language, that's going to be planting those thoughts in words into my mind. I remember when I was in college, I worked for, at a factory, and guys would curse all day long in that factory. And honestly, sometimes those words got into my mind. And I'd ask the Lord to take those out of my mind because I was afraid I might say some of those words. And don't stare at me like, wow, I can't believe Brother Chapel had to rep- repent of that. I'm just saying, garbage in, what? Garbage out. So there's a Bible principle that deals with keeping a pure a thought process. So, so I have convictions. Uh, I'm, look at I'm, I'm not going to let some guy from Lancaster come into my house and start cursing. Honestly, if he cursed and wouldn't stop, I'd throw him out of my house. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, why would I let the television do that? So my conviction is I'm not going to watch something that's pouring down uh, cursing or wicked language or uh, nudity or things that are appealing in that sense to the wickedness of the flesh. Those are Bible convictions. I'm not going to watch that. And so then the standard. Now, again, different people have a different standard. Some people have no television. Some people have no cable television. Some people watch only uh, Fox News and the Food Channel. That's why we have so many fat Baptists. But that's their standard, okay? That's where they set the standard. And there's a million ways to set the standard. I'm telling you again, Yes, you're going to go by the college rules, but we don't know where you are until you graduate, and we hope by then you have some personal standards about what you'll do and what you'll watch, okay? And for me, again, I've mentioned with the movie theater, I, I just don't want to be a stumbling block to someone in that area. Sometimes people make an argument that they can study something and go there. I don't buy into that, uh, but my point is this. Get a standard and stay by the standard. But we don't begin with standards, and I think that's where sometimes we've made a mistake with young people, just giving them rules and giving them rules. We begin with what? A Bible principle. Come on, help me now. We begin with what? right in front of you there. Begin with the Bible principle, okay? So if you come to me with a question and, and the issue is not directly related, like the Bible, for example, does say, thou shalt not watch television. I may not have a verse like the verse on long hair, but I want to be able to give you a biblical principled answer uh, so that you can develop a conviction. And if you have a conviction, you'll establish a standard. The standard is simply a tool to keep me from going out of bounds with my convictions. The standard is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. The whole goal of the Christian life is to please Jesus Christ. Some of you grew up in a church maybe where you thought that the goal was the standard itself. The standard is not the goal. What this, what this pathway is doing is keeping me in a Christ-like direction, okay? So those are some personal standards, right? And every, how many of you believe that every Christian should have some personal standards? Now, what the devil's going to try to do, he's going to try to say, oh, that was a nice little talk by Brother Chapel, but let's just move some of these out here. 
you know. Just an occasional drink, just an occasional movie, just this or that. And, and the devil will do that your whole ministry long. He's going to try to get you to move those standards. He tries to get every pastor to do that, you know, and, uh, and so forth. So every Christian needs personal standards. Now, some of you young men who are going to be pastors, you need to think about ecclesiastical positions or positions of the church. I'll just mention maybe a few uh, to you. I think uh, I mentioned earlier about how to receive members. I think about uh, music in the church. I think this is something that every one of you need to get some Bible principles to guide you. I'm convinced that many people are going to churches these days because of a sensual beat, not because of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that oftentimes wisdom is justified by her children or by you shall know them by their fruit. And oftentimes what we're seeing in the modern day church are Christians whose lives are completely indistinguishable from the world. So the Bible speaks about music in Ephesians chapter 5, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I have determined that in our church, in our college, the music would appeal to the spirit because a spiritual song is uh, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, pneumatikos, songs of the spirit. Now, to me, that, that precludes having in this church uh, drums uh, or an electric guitar. I don't, I don't know that you could make a biblical case against a bass guitar if it was played properly to the notes. We, have, we actually have basses in our orchestra. Uh, there again, that might be a preference. You'll have to think about that. I believe the electric guitar, the way it's played and strewn and so forth, it normally is, is identified and normally is playing rock and roll music. And I believe the drum sets are, are giving a very syncopated beat which appeal to the flesh and not to the spirit. I'm not saying drums are sinful or wrong. We have certain types of drums that play certain notes that help us to worship the Lord. Some people talk about, you know, who wrote a song and some of those types of things. Uh, and... The fact is that our hymn book has a lot of hymns that were written by people who are not exactly theologically where we are even today. I think the point in that part of the argument is you don't want to be a church that everything you sing is identifying you with a movement that is theologically incorrect, that is maybe Pentecostal, or that is just going to be a bridge right into something that's very, very beady. And I can't give you the exact standard in that area, but I can give you the biblical principle, uh, and the biblical principle is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and then you get some convictions about that. I will not have a rock beat in our church, and to make sure of that, we're, we're going to set a standard not to have a set of drums, okay? So my, my Bible principle is spiritual music, not fleshly music. If, if that much makes sense, say amen. amen. Music that appeals to the Spirit, that's my Bible principle. My conviction is uh, that I do not want a beat that is totally appealing to the flesh. I want the music. I want to know that God's working. I don't want to work up emotion. I want God to work. So my standard is maybe not to have, in this case, the drum uh, in that case. Now, you say, well, these are sort of silly things. You know, there were so many things, Dr. Rasmussen, that I never thought about before I became a pastor. And I remember when I came here to Lancaster, and this is not about a standard, but just to illustrate. We're standing in the back of the old church, and I was with the man that was here prior to my coming. And, uh, and he gives me the key to the church, and he's leaving. And he says, now, whatever you do, always lock this door. And I remember thinking to myself, well, how stupid is that? What's the big deal about locking the door? Well, you know what it was? It was called ownership. I had never been a pastor before. And by the way, about five days into it, 
our church was broken into. They stole the sound system. They poured Kool-Aid all over my diploma and my ordination certificate and stole everything out of my desk. And after that, I thought, man, you know, it's really important to lock the door. There's about a million things that you haven't thought about yet. Don't make fun of people that have been before you in maybe some of the idiosyncrasies. Or Why do they preach that? Or why do they say that? And if you're wondering, before you get a bad attitude about it, like some people have, just come and ask. And, and, and normally, there should be a Bible principle involved there, right? Uh, I'll give you another one. I've had to have some Bible principles guide me with respect to where I go preach or who I will have preach, okay? Now, I have never preached in a church that is not an independent fundamental Baptist church. And I've never had someone preach here that's not an independent fundamental Baptist. And you say, well, why is that? What, what's some of the Bible principles? Well, the, the, the primary principle that I would share with you is 1 Corinthians 14, 8. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? I do not want to give an uncertain sound to the men in this college. Now, there might be an occasion where someone would preach maybe in a Baptistic Bible church or something. I, I, I'm not saying I never would do that. I just never have. I've never been invited to one. Okay, There might be an occasion. I know Dr. Ouellette preached for a very conservative Southern Baptist church that was getting ready to vote and leave the convention, and he was helping them. And I think there's a place for that. But why is it that I'm so careful about where I preach? And, and I've been invited to preach in various meetings and could have, had, could have had lots of people come here and preach. I don't want to give an uncertain sound. Um, if there's a, a community-type church or a church that is not King James or they're Calvinistic, by the way, I really believe the Bible when it says whosoever. And, and I believe Calvinism can be very, very fatal to soul winning. Uh, then I'm not going to have somebody here who's giving a mixed signal about the Bible or about the doctrine of salvation or about eternal security. I'm not going to have somebody here and give that uncertain sound. So, so my Bible principle is not to give an uncertain sound. My conviction is that I'm going to do my very best to have doctrinally sound speakers in this pulpit and to only preach with doctrinally sound preachers of like faith and practice. And so the standard that I have set is that I will have Bible-believing, Baptist men of like faith and practice preach here, and those are the kinds of people that I will go preach for. That's the standard because I don't want my members of Lancaster Baptist going, wait a minute, we thought the King James Bible was God's preserved word, and that guy always uses the New American Standard where he preaches. It begins to confuse people. Years ago, they had what was called the Promise Keepers, and it was a gathering of all the denominations going to L.A. Coliseum, and they were going to get together, and they were going to you're going to praise and have preaching. And they, at first they said it's just to help men to keep promises. And I thought, well, that's not bad. But then they said, we're going to try to tear down all the walls of denominationalism. I'm not a fan of denominations. I, I, I'm independent. I'm not a fan of denominations. But what they meant was they were going to tear down some of what they were calling the non-essentials. Now, always be careful when people say we have to differentiate between essentials and non-essentials. There's truth in that. But the problem is when they start calling something essential, non-essential. So they said, you know, we want to break down the walls and all the non-essentials, like eternal security, like whether someone speaks in tongues, like, you know, like this or that. And all of a sudden I began to realize this whole thing is a bunch of compromise. And, uh, and they had Mormons taking the Lord's table with Mormons and Charismatics and Baptists and everybody. 
And the Bible principle for me there is simple. Come out from among them and be ye separate. And my biblical conviction is to, be, to, to preach for and with people of like faith. We did not start West Coast Baptist College to teach you how to leave the faith of your fathers. We started West Coast Baptist College so that you'll go out and do what your pastor did that got you here. Can I get an amen to that? Right? And most of you didn't come from a church where your pastor had a Pentecostal and a Southern Baptist and a Calvinist and all this preaching all the time. You came from a church. How many of you came from a church where it was kind of obvious you had a pastor that had some standards? Talk to me. I know where you came from. Your pastor had some standards that was based on some Bible convictions that was based on a Bible principle. We must have men of God who have personal standards. And those personal standards must be from a convicted heart, from a Bible principle. Men who say, I'll not touch alcohol. Men who'll say, I'm going to look like a man. Men who'll say, we're not going to have wicked movies uh, in our house. Men who will say, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain is wrong. By the way, convictions are the spark plugs that fire the engine of the whole church. You show me a man that doesn't have convictions, I'll show you a man who's got a crowd but not a church, and there's a difference, right? And I determined long ago I was not going to pastor a church of spectators who came in for the band on Sunday. I wanted to pastor a church of soldiers who serve God all week long. So, ladies, you've got to have some standards, and watch out for people who make fun of them. But make sure that your standards are not well, because Mrs. So-and-so said, make sure that you've got a Bible verse for that, right? Because people are going to ask you, hey, want to play this game? And I'm sorry, I don't know any of the games. The last games I knew were like Nintendo and Pac-Man. Pac-Man was 35 years ago. So, But I just know because we counsel the teenagers and they, they're playing a game and all of a sudden nudity pops up. Fifteen-year-olds. Those 15-year-olds need a pastor who's got enough sense to preach against that. If the pastors don't have standards, where are the kids going to get direction from? You've got to teach Bible principles to help people get convictions, and sometimes their standard will be a little different than you. Now say, Pastor, why do you sometimes have such high standards? And some of you have heard this before, but you need to hear it again. The reason that we have high standards as leadership is because we know that a lot of people are never going to go completely to the standard of the pastor. If I lower my standards, then the church lowers theirs, and if I lower, they lower. But it's always going to be lower. And leaders should set a high biblical standard for their life. So you got to have some personal standards in your life, right? Hopefully when you graduate from West Coast, you don't go around saying, bless God, you ought to have a short haircut because on page 49 in the student handbook it says so. Hopefully you've got a few verses by then, right? And hopefully when someone says you want to play this game or watch this movie, you don't say, oh no, that's against uh, code number 12 in our student handbook. I could never do that. Hopefully you'll be able to say, well, I read in the Psalms, thou shalt set no wicked thing before thine eyes. And that Bible principle led me to this conviction that I should not watch things with nudity or hear cursing, and that led me to a standard that I cannot play that game or watch that channel. See, And, and so you need personal standards. 
And then we need preachers who have ecclesiastical convictions, right? We will accept these members in this way. We will, as a church, have a worship style that is a preaching is the center of our worship. And fundamental to our worship is the preached Word of God. And music is to bring us into worship. It's a part of our worship. It's a wonderful part of our worship that should be appealing to the spirit of a man, the spiritual, the Holy Spirit working. We're not going to try to drum up excitement. We want God to do the work within us. And uh, I will not preach with men who have doctrine that is different from the doctrinal statement of uh, Lancaster Baptist Church or who are affiliated with groups that uh, endorse false doctrine. And by the way, that doesn't mean you have to spit at those men. There are some men that are good men. They're obviously saved. They're doing some good things, but they're a part of a group that maybe supports the World Council of Churches or uh, maybe endorses uh, you know, drinking or false doctrine. And so you, you do not want to lead your church into that. And sometimes I see preachers, Brother Getch, they're becoming a bridge into a wrong philosophy and a wrong doctrine. And you don't want to be that bridge. You want to bridge people closer to Jesus Christ. That's what you want to do. And so I just want to challenge you today to think about your personal standards. Make sure that they're attached to the Bible. And you've got to get some of these positions down in your life. And so I just wanted to speak to you today about the importance of having your own standards your own convictions, all based from a Bible principle. And ask questions, read the Word, listen in chapel, because when you're out of Bible college, all of this will be tested. I remember uh, years ago, Brother Getch will remember this, Brother Getch was invited to preach at, a, I think it was a camp, and they had just switched Bible versions. And it's a good camp. It was a fundamental camp. And we prayed about it, and we decided, you know what? Brother Getch isn't going to go preach there. You know why? We didn't want one West Coast student think that we were putting our stamp of approval on a, ver- on a version of the Bible that did not defend various doctrines of the Word of God. We didn't want to be an uncertain sound. I've been invited to speak in places in the last two years, and I've just said, boy, thank you for your kindness, but I don't feel the Lord would have me to do that. And, and so... I'm saying some of you don't know where you're going to be. Some of you young men could have a Bible college someday. You need to think these things through. The Bible says consider the end of a thing. And, and rather than you know, write it off as stupid or narrow-minded, I would say to you, don't limit what God might want you to do. And don't overemphasize your rights, but emphasize your what? Talk to me. Don't overemphasize your rights, but emphasize your what? Right? Spiritual leaders emphasize their responsibility. 